0: This is the sidebar, a podcast by the New York Association of Black Journalists. My name is Jason Cordiner, and in this episode, we go over Carl the newest book, Comedy Goes to Court, when people stop laughing and people start fighting. We also are joined by Sundra Conquest, a light historic comedian with over 30 years in the industry, and we talk about cancer culture, we talk about things that comedians used to get away with and they pretty much can't get away with now and talk about solutions and how to address those going forward. We just want to get a little history about the infamous. Yeah, you know, just to tell us about the book, Carl. Yes, sir. Uh, the book
1: is, uh, Comedy Goes to Court. Um, uh, when people stop laughing and start fighting. So yeah, it's, uh, a book, uh, that's based on, uh, Work done over like a 10 year period, you know, like it started life uh, as a blog. I wasn't even like intending to write a book at all when I started that, uh, it was just some kind of service to the industry. Uh, the folks I was uh, writing to, I was doing the blog when I was an editor of Comedy Beat, we covered comedy, I was one of the managing editors of the website, and so on this side, we did blogs and then, uh some of the questions came from the audience members who were following our comedy recording. And they had all these questions about, you know, what issues might arise with comedians, you know, if uh, they get entangled with the law and things like that. I mean, that was after they learned that I was also a lawyer. So, you know, they kind of uh, figured they'd ask me some questions about the law. So, you know, was that kind of back and forth that led me to start writing a blog, you know, to address some of the things that we are concerned about. So it was kind of like a service to them. I had no idea whatsoever, no intention whatsoever, no plan to even write a book. This was like more than 10 years ago. So over the years, you know, the thing took on a whole life of its own. Um, My uh, fans, they loved it more and more. They they wrote about it. They posed more questions. I had more answers for them. So yeah, I mean, it went back and forth until, at some point, uh, when I wrote an earlier book called uh, Comedy Under Attack, The Golden Age and the Headwinds. And then I was doing some kind of book reading in Manhattan at a bookstore called Book Culture. It's close to Columbia University. So, so one of the folks who attended the event, you know, she, she's a comedian in the city. And then she like, well, look, I read your blog all the time. We have all these issues you keep talking about. And some of the issues, have been covered in your book too. Why don't you like actually do a, another book based on, you know, the stuff you write on your blog, It will be more of a service to the uh, comedy community, community, you know, than anything else you've done so far. So I thought of it and then I figured yeah, actually, why not, <laughs> why the hell not do this? So that was when I began to think about actually writing a book. And you know, it took a while, a couple of years go by, putting things together and then, uh, you know, the rest is history, but I'm very proud of, uh, I'm very proud to have been of service to the industry in some way, even if, uh, you know, even if in some small way, but um, for, for what, you know, like, yeah, I, I'm just happy to have done that. You know, I don't, even if in some modest way, uh, if it has assisted uh, some comedians to, you know, get a better handle on some of the issues they frequently face in the course of their career, their everyday activities here. Yeah, I am proud to have done that. So for now, that's where I'll leave it. And
0: then I'll see um what do you guys think. All
2: right. Well,
0: we also have Sunday here. Um, I'm curious to know how the new and Carl
2: hook up. Actually, that's that was a secret. That was way back in Nigeria back in the day. He was running through the fields. (laughs) I wish I was running through fields. What I found so interesting is that I met Carl at that bookstore in Harlem and I don't go out often unless I'm working. And I was very interested. I love African comedy, any kind of African comedy. They can do a show and it's amazing how they can keep it clean. And when I say they, I'm African American, but he's African African-American. You know what I'm saying? And we just vibed and we stayed in touch. I wrote you and I said, I really enjoyed your work. And the next thing I know, I found out I was in a book. <laughs> how, how did that make you feel? How did you feel about that? I said, well, somebody gonna make me some money because damn my name in a book. And then someone said, you can't do that. They can't do that. They just can't put you in without your permission. And I said, you know something? If this is going to be something that's going to help our community, then I'm into it because your gifts sometimes come different ways. Your payback sometimes comes different ways. And if there's anything I can do to help anyone in our community, especially with journalism, I'm there. And I was introduced to Carl personally uh, through Gordon Balcom. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a publicist and he gets around. And... To be in this situation again, I said I would never allow myself to be like, no more. It's enough. But Carl has a way, maybe it's feign, not naivete, but he's got a way of getting you to do it. So here I am, I canceled the class tonight and I'm all yours. And I think the message that Carl's also trying to deliver and I'm, he definitely can say it, he speaks for himself, but. Now we're in the period of woke, we're woke. And maybe he's trying to help by saying, hey, read this, just substitute that name for another name to avoid a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So when I teach, that's exactly. what I do. I encourage people to do the opposite, use a pseudonym, something else, but just stay away from, you know, trouble when you think about it, there's a comedian by the name of Henny Youngman, a very famous comedian. And in fact, Jerry Lewis had chosen me to be one of the performers in a salute to Henny Youngman. Are you familiar with Henny Youngman?
0: Yes, I am. Uh, no, yeah. I was
2: asked. Okay. yeah, is, is Carl, are you familiar, Carl? Yeah. Okay, and to brief to anyone who doesn't know, he made a lot of money with his mother-in-law jokes, okay? <laughs> like my mother, like my mother-in-law asked me, uh to take her somewhere she's never been. So I showed her the kitchen, you know, things of that nature. (laughs) And ironically, you know, he made fun of his mother-in-law and he gets a TV deal and I get a lawsuit. So how does that happen? (laughs) And it's embarrassing. It wasn't, you know, I always had to keep a, a happy face, but to even revisit this and to see my name in print attached to that, it caused so many problems. And people think, hey, any publicity is great publicity. No, it isn't, I'm here to tell you, because it affects everyone. And I'm trying to bring the worlds together. And what Carl's doing is using comedy as the barometer to help people deal with free speech and being able to say what they wanna say without being canceled or you ain't woke and all this. Guess what guys, you can't cancel canceled, okay? So I guess that makes me a positive because you have to be able to have fun again. I was known for my characters. I have all these characters I used to do. I did, uh, what's her name? Uh, no Pays a Day. What's her first name again, Mark? I can't believe I can't remember Shiraz her name. What was it? Shiraz a Day. I play a Persian Shiraz a day, No Pays a Day, because today I don't want to pay the day. I want my valet to change my Mercedes from 450 to 500. He won't help me. We have that. And then we have Maria Santiago de Valesca de in Bogota, Puerto Rico. And she's saying, hey, honey, let's go to the Puerto Rican Day Parade. And then we had Kim Kim, the convert Korean. And mm. she just want a nice Jewish boy to help her be good Jewish wife. And I did all these characters on my television show. Uh, it was called James and Sunda on Jewish Life Television. And that's when comedy allowed you to be funny. It was never a mockery because when you're a Swedish and Black redneck Jew. It is an experience when you're raised by an Italian in Patterson, New Jersey in a sausage factory. And people say to me, oh, you don't eat pork now because you're Jewish? I'm like, no, because I had enough pork in my life. Trust me. I know you didn't ask about all that, but I just thought you might want to know a little oh, history. No, that's
0: of- great. That's <laughs> a great it's good. It's good. I mean, it's
1: good. It's good background.
2: I don't want you to think that it was that one joke that made me you know, I, I done so much before that. You know, I got a play. It was the Dodgers had done the Titanic, and a musical came out called Funny Business. And it was a rock and roll musical about stand up comedy. And I never thought that I would be in a musical at the Kennedy Center, dancing and singing. And that's how I first started in show business as a kid. I was a dancer. And so I can't hide that stuff because they pull out everything. I never put in about Miss America because there was such drama over the pageantry world then with women of color. And they thought I was, um, what'd they say I was doing? I was trying to capitalize looking like Vanessa Williams. And we didn't look alike. I mean, people think we look alike when my hair's straight, but you know, Vanessa would never go out like this child. (laughs) She's, She's gorgeous for that. And I had an opportunity to work with her and her ex-husband, I forget his name, Fox is the last name. He's Rick. a basketball player, Rick, mm-hmm. right. And when I got to the home, you know, it was one of these mansions and it was a benefit. When I got there, they told me my husband was waiting for me. And I said, my husband better be in New York City, okay? Because he wasn't supposed to be out here. And then Vanessa came on the other side and the photographer said, oh my God. I said, double trouble. But she was beautiful and she was she enjoyed the comedy. And you'll never believe this, talking about being woke. I got a note from the producer who said, by the way, this is a different group. We're not going to do any Persian jokes. Well, I did not get the memo. And let me tell you, they had a ball. They had a ball. because I'm in Beverly Hills, come on. They're the closest thing I have to Black people with me, okay? That, you know, can hang out with me. And I can prove that they're Black. I told them, you're the new Black me. I can prove it because you all shop and return everything the next day. And they laugh at that. But it's also from love. you know. I I always make sure when I do comedy, find something good, find something good. If you want to make fun of somebody, make fun of yourself first. You know, don't come out like that. That's just, the other thing I can't stand, not that you ask, is when people come out saying, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up. Tell me a joke, right, Jason? Tell me a joke, make me laugh. And Carl has the uncanny ability to not only be great speaking in person, but also he segues into the comedy that way. And as I told you, I'm a fan of African comedians for whatever reason. And ironically, historically, mm-hmm. my first cousin was hired to uh, it was Planned Parenthood. It was years ago, and they opened a Planned Parenthood in Kenya, and so that's why i think i got a connection also is that she kind of stayed in kenya she's like once you're in africa you'll it's never the same it's so beautiful it's never the same you'll never see a memory and i never had a chance to see her there but she just really enriched my life in so many ways jambo whatever it's good to belong and to be able to feel comfortable and uh carl's definitely someone who's comfortable enough to just take my name and put me in a book and I'm sitting here thinking now he didn't call me and yeah and I knew exactly who it was and I said you know what why not why not you know there's enough for everybody in this world as long as you stop the crabs in the barrel and I had explained that to Carl because he didn't know about no crabs in the barrel because they don't know about no crabs in Africa they're not gonna eat that it's unhealthy you guys <laughs> got it Carl's like yeah you use a chewing you use a chewing stick by any chance? Yep. You do, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you got them pearly whites.
0: <laughs> well, well, Charles, I got to ask you, what was the motivation to put Sandra in the book? Yes. Well, <laughs> you're, you're waiting to know this Charles. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: um I did not intend to
2: I capitalize
1: exactly <laughs> if I can use that word <laughs> but you know as I mean, I mean as you can see the book is about like um, it's divided into various sections like mm-hmm. it starts from making the deal to what comedians can say or cannot say uh, and then in, when it goes on to like how to protect their material from being stolen and then how to divvy up revenues from comedy work and then You know, uh, other things about silly things that happen to comedy from outsiders and from insiders, and then it goes on all the way to comedy and other worlds. The intersection crisis—that's what that chapter was about. Chapter seven. I mean, I'm
2: sorry. What was the crisis?
1: The first word is uh, inter the intersection crisis, intersection crisis, comedy and yeah. Comedy and other worlds. That's chapter seven, and you know, you know Sunda, yeah, and that's where Sunda appears, chapter seven. In other words, what happens when comedians get involved with people who are not comedians, usually through through marriage or other kinds of uh, relationships, and uh, most of the um, cases discussed in that section, you know, were about um, family members who were offended by what the comedians have done on stage, maybe talking about the, um, their relationship with family members and activities that go on in the family. So family members, uh, these family members were usually embarrassed that these kinds of things were being dragged out in the public sphere. And then some of them were inclined to sue, to try to shut the comedian up or something like that. So yeah, and this is like a first amendment issue, free speech usually they were told, well, no, 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 you can't uh, exactly stop this comedian from saying this. So I guess the uh, the moral of that was that, well, if you're going to be with a comedian in a relationship, you ought to know, quote, (laughs) unquote, (laughs) that that's where some of the material comes from. (laughs) Exactly, so that's where that is, you know, so it's about comedy and other worlds. The world, you know, folks who get involved with comedians um how far they may be able to stop the comedian mm-hmm. from being a comedian and you know what the comedian can do to them uh how they can like stay safe with them but the thing is though under the law the comedians are allowed to just you know play their trade that's who they are the point is if you get involved with them well you know part of the um part of their stick comes from their lives, their daily lives. And guess who their lives are with you. I
2: love that he said shtick. I I just did an entire interview. (laughs) Listen to this about oh, it's going to be on Dr. Phil actually. It's going to be on Dr. Phil this week. But I did an interview that talked about that. I just forgot what I I was in an accident a few weeks ago but I'm still here. What were you saying before? About the shtick. Okay. I love the fact that you know, it became. They were saying how the question for that was, how did it become a part of comedy? Like it's so, it's so wonderful that you said shtick. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. Yiddish. It's like it's time. That's when you get kosher soul. That's when I put my book up and hope it's not upside down.
1: Nice, no, not it's the, truth is,
2: the reason that I won that suit, you didn't know what the. Do you know what the precedent was? Phyllis Diller. Mm. Phyllis Diller was sued by her ex-husband that she called Fang. Phyllis Diller was an American comedian from the 50s, one of the right, first right. Exactly. And the the situation was difficult for me because it's my husband representing me against his mother. And it's funny, but <laughs> it's so hurtful. Because you know, cultures are very different. And if I say this, I'll be canceled, but just cancel me again doesn't matter because listen. Black people, we get into a fight. We're like, okay, Thanksgiving rolls around. We're like, all right, we cool. Italians getting a fight. I'm not talking to Joey B anymore. Forget about it. But Christmas comes, we gotta go to Midnight Mass. They get over Jews, you're dead to me. Boom, that's it. I'm gonna sue, I'm gonna sue. That's how it happens, all right? And that might sound anti-Semitic, but I'm a Jew. And I'm here to tell you, I heard the craziest stuff that came out of this this case. And I have to tell you who really supported me was the black community. Mm. And I was shocked because I wasn't invited on any black shows except um, Gail King, I was on hers, but they supported me in the media, like on the radio and things like that. They say radio because it was the radio then. And I just felt very, very humbled and and, and happy by that. Because I don't often get invited to do shows of color like when my hair was straight but now i'm getting some more carl how you like <laughs> this i got it going on a little bit huh you yep. see what a pandemic can do put down that straightening comb <laughs> and i'm sure carl that you had many other cases to look at and i just want to tell you that i'm it's a compliment that you considered me and i and i thank you and so you're God, welcome
1: you're very I'm welcome
2: not you to court but i will take those glasses off your head
1: <laughs> all right there you go
0: there you go well I'm curious to know how you both feel about the current state of cancer culture how in like how sensitive everybody is nowadays where it doesn't seem like no one can take a joke do you guys feel like you know you guys are being as a community are being attacked
2: absolutely in addition to being attacked we've allowed ourselves to be You see, let me just say this. Comedy is a performing art. I don't care what anyone says. It's a performing art, and that's how I teach it. And I'm very serious about it. You have exercises. You have to do things to get yourself ready. And I forgot the question real quick, Jason. Hit me again.
0: About cancel culture, your views on cancel culture. All right,
2: cancel culture. So take, for example, I had a situation that took me three hours to handle. Why? Because someone of a different age group referred to somebody else from a different age group about, their boobs and it's inappropriate you should know that by now Weinstein's sitting in in his cell you guys got to be hip to that and one thing that Darnell Rawlings had said in a uh in a post I read he's right as comedians people think that they can come up you know and and just hey it's soon hey like take pictures next thing you know you're in a book You're in a book about the Supreme Court of Justice, of comedy with with Carl. The next thing you know, you're doing a podcast that hopefully brings the world together so that cancel culture is canceled. Do you know Mm. what should be canceled? Spick and span. Let's talk about that. Everybody talks about Aunt Jemima. Now I can't buy pancakes. I don't trust it no more. I wanted to see her up there. You hear what I'm saying? I knew I was getting my pancake mixed. And it's just amazing how they all forgot spick and span. As a kid, people would think I was Spanish because, you know, when you're black and white, it makes you Puerto Rican. But in Beverly Hills, I become Persian I start shopping and returning. And I just said to myself, wow, they have got to stop. The cancellation thing goes too far, the sensitivity issues, and now the legal issues that are coming about. You know, it's you can make a mistake now. How many times has someone said, you know, after I had my kid, would you like to sit down? You know, you're pregnant. <laughs> Horrible. I already had the baby. But these are the things that would get that person canceled. You fat shame that woman. How did you fat shame her? You know, um, don't, don't shame me. And, and the other thing is with cancel culture. Don't set me up. All right. If I introduce myself to you, Jason, my name is Sundalyn Kroenqvist. Uh, From Patterson, New Jersey. How you doing? I don't. I don't want to give. I I don't say I'm a she. Now I have to put that on everything, everything here. I, you know, because I respect that. At the same time, you got to get out of my. You can't. You can't get out of my soup because you're making it very difficult. My experience with my mother-in-law. The only reason that I won that case is because the judge deciding the case felt that. If I was the only woman of color in this situation, and these were my feelings, I'm entitled to my feelings. I never talked about the calling my kid kinte I never talked about the, them thinking I was stealing silverware, and it was plated silver anyway. It wasn't real. I went through a whole lot. People now want to use the bathroom after me, like I got the hooties. I mean, things like that. Now, that would have been shaming them. But to make a joke about my mother-in-law, Ruth Saffron, who I really adored until this happened, because she was forced upon this. This was forced by her other two children. And, you know, when you go to a Passover Seder, they always say, why is tonight different than any other night? Well, when they said that question, I looked around and I said to the nine-year-old niece, I said, you know why tonight's different? She said, why? I said, because Uncle Mark brought home some chocolate, and she started laughing, and everybody wanted to know what she was laughing at, but it was obvious. It's the elephant in the room, you know, and a lot of things happen. You don't understand, like my culture is different, And when I say culture, having roots from Georgia, my grandparents, you know, I'm definitely black and white. There's no mixed stuff in between, and when people would say things like, well, how do you see yourself? Uh, I'm a black woman who happens to have a white father. That's it. But I'm still that woman of color. And I'm just a woman, a person, a human. And I have feelings too. And I'll never forget that my husband's brother-in-law said to me, "It's this This is really bad for us, but how does your family take it? How does my family take it? We are, we're, we're already there. My grandmother used the word colored. When you hear colored at a dinner table, you know that you may be at the wrong table. That's just my view. But other than that, they made a big deal about it. It was so humiliating. When my mother-in-law passed away, the principal at Sinai at the school, let me not say the name, I'll never forget. She said, well, you have to come get them now. We don't want a media circus. And I did I said to myself, this is their grandmother. Like, are you kidding me? You know, I never stopped my kids from talking to her because that's where the black family, that's our nucleus, you know, like grandma, you know, the aunties, you know, we have, I would never stop my kids. And just to support my mother-in-law, I mean, to back her up, she still sent them money for their birthday in cash because she didn't want them to know the other siblings that she was still in connection. And, uh, that's the story. It was a deep story. Cause I got a lot of trouble. I was working in a nursing home and people had walkers and canes and they were saying, well, you did was terrible. You imagine getting thrown. I mean, I was being, I couldn't believe I was being heckled because they saw one side, but did you ever, did you, did you know me when that happened, Jason? No, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. No. So
1: yeah. And, uh, to piggyback on what she had said, I, mean, I think the question was uh, our feelings about council culture and wokeness. Uh, you know, first of all, there is something to be said for being sensible to other people's uh, sensitivities, and uh, you know, not going so far needlessly to hurt other people's feelings. So I mean, there is something to be said for that. It helps us. Uh, it helps us to maintain a civility. And to continue to um, uh, sustain our civilized society. But um, again, there's also the issue of boundaries. Uh, the wokeness and the cancel culture stuff is kind of gone a bit too far. The pendulum, the pendulum, <laughs> the pendulum may have swung too far in the in the in the direction of like people getting cancelled and being unable to speak freely in a place like America, which is like the first amendment planet. So there's a problem with that. So it comes down to line drawing. How far do we draw this line? Where do we draw the line exactly? So, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the cases covered in the book, especially chapter two, dealing with free speech. Yeah, it comes down to that. Comedians being uh, forced to literally self-censor. You know, self-censorship is such a, um, it's so anathema to the idea of a free society with a free speech uh, regime so yeah and you know the good thing is most of those cases ended up in favor of the comedians and their right to free speech but it's not just the law that counts in the end there's also what society does i mean if people decide to cancel you or maybe not go to your shows anymore it doesn't matter that you won a case that uh, recognizes your right to continue to say the things you were saying. So you know, that's the point now, how far can comedians uh, sustain their careers while you know, uh, being true to the law? So th- th- that's, uh, you know there's some kind of tension there and uh, that's why it's important that comedians get to know uh, what they may say under the law, and then they also have to be sensitive to what society can't tolerate. Like I said, in one of my writings, comedy today is like a product of being offered for sale because comedy today is big business. Unlike-
2: a lot of it is manufactured. Yeah. A lot of these people are not writing their own jokes. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it, also become a, it has also become kind of industrial in a way, very corporatized. So, but you know, the thing is, it's big business and they are selling a product. Here's the problem. What if you want to sell this product? You feel this is a wonderful product. You know, I have the freedom to sell this product. I want to like, let it rip, go as far as I can go. Well, if you have a product to sell you're selling the thing to consumers. What if the consumers because of political correctness and ideas of wokeness and oversensitivity no longer want to buy the product. They no longer want to see the show or they are canceling people. So there's that tension there. You know, you have a product to sell. What if the consumers, for whatever reason, perhaps they are wrong in the way they think, but it is what it is. What if they no longer want to buy the product in a certain way? They want it to like maybe modify the product. So I guess my point is, because I write Mm -hmm. about comedy a lot, I kind of think perhaps there's also a discussion to be had in the comedy community about this idea that um, we can just say whatever we want to say that may be fine under the law I mean to a large extent but as a practical matter you are selling a product what if society doesn't want to buy that particular product in those particular you know forms so there may be it may be necessary from a business perspective for comedians to like participate in this conversation where we are trying to draw the line properly between uh, what can or can't uh, be done going forward. So, I mean, a lot of the the cases covered in the book relate to that kind of thing. And it's very important, especially for up and coming comedians to know know about the environment as well as about what the law allows them to do so so that their careers don't get upended even before it really takes off, so.
2: Yeah. There was, Jason, are you familiar with the book The Real Side, R-E-E-L Side by Mel Watkins?
0: I am not, but I'll definitely look into it.
2: OK, it, it tells about the history of comedy from minstrel times till now, now meaning the late 90s then. Um, a lot of people think I've been in this business a heck of a lot longer than I have been but I wasn't, I actually got booked before I started and I started in a workshop. I now teach, I have students. Now, Carl is a hundred percent on point. People want to know why is a uh, like, I'm so sorry, Somebody came on the computer and I don't know what that meant, but I can't do this. This is so crazy when I do in the zoom, When I'm teaching these people that come here who are veterans, when these comics see them, they're just like, why are they there? You know why they're there? Because they want to know. Can I say the N-word? Can we talk about the N-word envy? Why does everybody want to say it? I can say it because, you know, my aunt, and she's my aunt by marriage, but she raised me. And so like, we always, we were kids. I always said, oh, when I was a kid, it was a no. That's it. But now, it's the envy, or also, can I say this, or or do I say that? And you know who's coming to me? People aren't coming to me that wanna be stand-ups. They're rabbis, reverends, priests. Uh, I've had such an array of people just to get over the fear of speaking in public, especially since COVID. And now we get to the cancel culture, and where they come in, unfortunately, is that they don't know, like Carl said, that book might be a nice guide for you not to say words that you can't say anymore. Like, I think you can't say he or she. It's gotten so bad. My husband got so sick. And all I said to my daughter, she said, oh my God, what's wrong with daddy? What's wrong with daddy? And, I, and he, he ate Vietnamese. And she says, oh, it's Vietnamese food. She's like, that is so racist. That's my child saying that. If it was Italian food, say Italian food. Racist. Everything's racist. I say to her, I want you to go to the Indian store because they have a certain kind of saffron. She's like, why do you have to call it that? I said to her, do you know the name of the store? Do you know the name of the store? When I was in Patterson, New Jersey, you had Puerto Rican store. Dominicans had their place. You know what I'm saying? And then we had the black store where you get your ham hocks and they'd split them for you. I really know a lot about things like this. And I have to tell you, I'm falling in love with African comedians. It's just Mm. something new. It's just something new because they're able to tell a story and they don't pepper it right away. If you can work clean, you can make so much more money, even though, yeah, Eddie Murphy did raw. We know that that started it all, but now everyone's following the same thing. And it's just like,
0: And how do you feel about that how do you guys feel about that everyone's pretty much running the same material the same routines and you know because it's kind of
2: like, yeah yes and please 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 if you're a breeder like me i got a new name i'm a breeder all my life i was a half-breed now i'm a breeder i've never heard of this madness before and my daughter She's going through stuff, which is so crazy because look, I went up to this kid by accident. I said, if you don't get over here, we gotta go. And it wasn't mine. And I said to the mother, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, this white woman looked at me like she thought I lost my mind until my daughter came around the corner. Now you see, that's where it gets tangled up where we as Americans have mm-hmm. to stop and know that black people are a flower bed of colors. You go upstate New York, you will find blonde hair, blue eyed black people. And that's just what it is and it is what it is and that's why I'm always in trouble because when I when I say I'm in trouble it means that I'm they say I'm too outspoken when I'm working with my comics when I work with my black comedians my male black comedians I tell them right up front you have to act like you got somewhere to be this slow walking up to the stage you see how small the studio is it does not take you that long to make two steps <laughs> and don't tell people clapping for you say knock knock who's there and don't start out with, you know, and I'm allowed to say it because I feel like I have free speech. Like, yo, that one, he's my nigga right there, my nigga right there. You're making the white people uncomfortable because they want to laugh. But if they laugh, they're in trouble. Then they're racist. And you can't do that. And I'm living with a Jew. I can't say you're living with a Jew. I said he's a Jew last time I looked. You can't say that. Da, 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 da. And, and Judaism is a religion. It's not a race. And you're still black. And... I'll never forget this. I was at the comedy store. I'm trying to think of which brother was the Wayans brothers. And I love them all. I I love Marl, you know, but the oldest one, I was just so happy to meet him. And I was young in the business, you know? And I just told him what a fan I was. And he said, I've got to tell you, I saw your act. He says, that's real. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, it's a solid act, but you know something, you still black. And I was like, what did that have to do with anything? Cut to, five years later, who do I run into? Yes, Dr. Huxtable is at a restaurant. And uh, Bill Cosby is at this Italian restaurant by himself. And I went over to speak to him because my uncle uh, who passed away, Jimmy Cobb, was a drummer. And I knew that he had had lunch with my family before, with my aunts and my uncle. My uncle was uh, head of dentistry at Harlem Hospital. And I'm saying that because there was was a reason for me to, to go over to him. And he obviously knew my comedy after we had, he had seen me. You know what he said to me? What's that? He said, well, you think that that act of being black and white is going to get you anywhere? He says, it's not. He said, you have to think again, because how long are you going to play that? And I was just like, you know what? There's something that people like in comedy. And I'm sorry, Mr. Huxtable, Dr. Huxtable. But... People, places, names, and things. Things have changed since you started, okay? When he he jumped on that rock, when he jumped on Eddie like that, and Eddie told him to go eat a Jell-O pudding pop, free speech. And sometimes it's good to clarify so people are at ease, you know. I'm definitely a black woman, but I could be a Puerto Rican, you know what I'm saying? Or I could be something else, or could be. And sometimes I like to, I'll do an act where I won't say anything about that nice and they'll come up to you and you know and having the name croonquist you know what it's like you keep saying my name wrong too It's no r in sunda it's sunda croonquist but people forget the r and say Quist. you can't call <laughs> me a coon you're not calling me a coon not today
0: i love it i love it interesting
2: it's real it's my experience and i'll be real with you i had a a problem when I first started is one comedian was going to take me out to fight like I've got the time to fight right and she says um I was stealing her act well you know what I met four other people that had the same bit and they were all black and white because that's their reality Mm. you come out you look like that yeah we know you black we know you black we see your edges but there's something else they always want you to know that they, I know my edges. I know my kitchens. I've had every part of my hair, my head burnt. I got straightening comb burns on the tips of my ears. Please don't tell me what I am. I know what I am. I'm comfortable in my skin. But sometimes black Americans are not that way where they're going to reciprocate like that and put you on the top of the black show. If you're mentioning anything about the other side, you got to be, that's where you get canceled with your own people. Now, yeah. Isn't that ball wax? That's just the craziest thing. And so I don't want to over-talk. This is not my show. But I do want you to know that you're great, Jason. And I like the way you do this with me and Carl because I think he's so funny.
0: Well, I'm glad you you think he's funny. because I I think he's funny, too. And I think think you're amazing, by the way.
2: Oh, that is so kind of you. I really needed that today.
0: Well, Well, I guess to piggyback off what you just said, now, do you encourage your students to, like, study... African comedians a little bit now that you've kind of like, you know, deep dive. into I have. It. Okay. In
2: fact, I have. And I'll tell you why. I have had so many. Come on in, Wes, we'll sit down. Um, I encourage them because you will see honesty coming from a country that looks, listen, you know, that like to have fun. I love the fact that Nigerians, they have these different tribes. And I, found, I don't even ask me. I was hanging out with Africans at Seton Hall University. Like, then they run. But what were we just talking about And I told you I had an accident. What was that? Are
0: we were just talking about opening up like your your students and in, introducing them into right. okay. African.
2: Introducing yep. them to the African culture. I tell them, just listen. I like that. You know why? Because the Irish and the Africans are storytellers. Mm. Irish storytellers, love they tell stories. Trust me, went to Catholic school for 16 years, from kindergarten to college. Isn't that crazy? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no meat on Friday, only fish.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But if your daddy owns pork your company. You're still gonna come home with some some spam or scrapple or something that came from that pig. But now what we have is the vets are coming to me who have been doing comedy much longer than me but they're more comfortable talking to me and asking me, is that okay to say, you know, like, is that okay that I can say this or that? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you gotta stay away from black women's hair. It's just something had nothing to do with comedy. It just goes from way back. Just don't get my hair wet. That was my number one line. Don't you get my hair. Walking in the rain with the one I love wouldn't happen to me. Uh uh. I had it all, it was just, you know world's just too crazy right now right by the way and i think people need attention and that's where wokeness came from Mm. i am nobody but now i'm saying this happened to me so now i'm somebody now i've changed (laughs) myself to be uh hipper cooler you know like when i meet people they're like hi i'm so and so somebody told me that they were pansexual and let me tell you something (laughs) i have to you know because i was like oh no is this like like panama Like, I did not know what pansexual is, and I should not be condemned for that. I'm from a different age group. I'm an elder. You need to have some respect and not say these things to me and be insulted, you know. I'm sorry. I, you know, just sometimes you make a mistake. Look, let's be real. I have a true story. i hooked up with this guy. Well, I didn't hook up. That's the whole point of the story. I didn't want to hook up, right? I'm so sorry. Can you shut the door for me, please? I have sound. And he was Australian. This happened to me in Puerto Rico. I'll never forget that. And I got to get out of this. I'm thinking, of this. I got to get out of this. And now I'm on his boat. I got to get out of this. So I said to him, he says, I want you to marry me. I mean this. You're just the most amazing woman that I've ever met. You're just, I said, Peter, stop. I have something to tell you. I've, I've had a sex change. And he looked at me and he said, I knew it. And I said, you knew it. He said, the smallness of the breast, the Adam's apple, the facial hair. But I still love you. And I was like, what is on? So cut two years later. I'm married. My husband says, "Hun, Peter's on the phone. Peter, I'm going to use his name, but it's okay. Because he knows I'm not a, but I said to him, the first thing I said to him, Jason. And Carl, I said, oh, I just want you to know that wasn't true. (laughs) because I realized that there's someone out there who could be like, you don't know what Sooner really is now. Mm. He said, I knew it. Can you imagine me? He knew it. But look, if I told that joke, it's funny. You can't, I can tell that joke. I guess I do it in a way because my mother, when you have hair like this, you ever see white mothers with black fathers and the the product, the child, you just want to put a comb through the child's hair because the mm-hmm. mother doesn't know what to do the a little wild same thing here because who has really long then you say nappy hair right i had mm-hmm. nappy hair so they couldn't dry it properly there's been no blow dryer, so they took an electrolux vacuum cleaner listen to me with the hose on exhaust mm. to get to the roots of my hair and hair has always been drama and it's the black woman's burden and I remember once I got notes from someone that said to me, Stop talking, don't do that weave routine anymore. It's disrespectful to black to you know to, to our fellow black sisters. And I was like, It's the white girls who are getting it, okay? And they're calling it extensions and getting overcharged. They need to find an African through Carl that can take that hair, braid it back, and make you look twenty five years younger. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Hey, Sunda just out of curiosity, uh, what do your students think about, you know, your, I mean, I don't know if they've seen uh, the, if they've read the book and seen the, the section where you were covered, but assuming they have, what do they think of that, by the way, in terms of like, you know, your ability to speak freely as a comedian or, you know, your, uh, your relationship as a comedian to people who belong in other fields. I mean, out of curiosity. we call it
2: lay people and shop talk this is what i tell them when you're talking about he missed the beat he missed his cue he should have taken that laugh when you're talking to regular people that's shop talk they don't know what you're
0: talking about Hmm.
2: so you have to be inclusive and what i teach them the most is people want to leave with something information they do they want to leave with information and i'm probably getting away from your question a bit
1: slightly, slightly, but you can always come
2: back. I always manage somehow though. <laughs> I do. I don't know how, but seriously, Jason, I had a horrible accident. You can ask Benita. I fell in the middle of Second Avenue in Manhattan. Oh no.
1: And I blacked ahead.
2: out. I blacked out. It was horrible. But when I woke up I was so refreshed. But that's not the point. The point is that some until I get, you know, it just lately. Lately, no. My students know this. They know how to use the microphone properly. You can't tell me, man, I killed so bad, man, I had to drop the mic. Well, then bring your own doggone mic and stop dropping my mic. And another (laughs) thing, you don't, we're here in the class, like you don't talk about a woman's breasts like that anymore. That's, remember me, hello, not here. It can't be, it's not good. And women, let's talk, okay? You want to talk about your period? It better be the funniest period joke i ever heard in my life. Because it's not universal. You have to make universal for people. You see what I do in my act? You wouldn't know about it unless I broke it down. Like when the father pulled out the green, bushy, leafy stuff at the Passover table, I said, great, because I have some easy widers and we can roll a joint. But it wasn't that kind of herb. Because you know, they, in the Jewish tradition, you, know, you you the Seder, you put the parsley in the water. And that was my joke, I was like, hey, Nobody laughed, but that's okay. But it's a learning experience here because people come very far to see me and to learn with me in person. And I think it's essential that they real. it's not through a camera that they feel you're hurting someone's feelings right now or you're making someone uncomfortable right now. And you have to be sensitive now because you will not just be canceled, but you can get your butt whipped. Let's not even talk about that. That says back 50 years.
1: You could, yeah. Totally.
2: And guess what? If you were clean, you can always work dirty. <laughs> it's true. I make money from being clean. But then I get hired for adult parties, and they want... I was thinking of putting a fans-only page for my comedy, because I, I could... Oh, yes. Think about it. I'm mm-hmm. not showing anything, but you're going to hear stuff you ain't never going to hear nowhere else. Nobody's ever thought about a fans-only page for comedians.
1: I think cleaner is better, though. Cleaner is better. Because, I mean, you because get more accurate. of a...
2: yeah. Of course you're going to say that. You're not from the hood like us.
1: I ah, know. But, but, but actually, you get more work. You get more work if you're clean.
2: Absolutely.
1: I mean, you probably know, yeah, definitely.
2: You don't even know the levels of clean. Let's talk about that, Jason.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: hope i should I look at the camera? like through in the in the thing here or do i look at you through here i want to make sure you guys can see me we can see you we can see you okay here's what's important that um when i say clean clean is different from corporate when you work for chabad the most religious organization of jews got to be clean And it's so hard to put that kind of show together. And I begged, the show was going great. It was with Rabbi Mintz of, uh, he's Chabad of Bel Air, all right? He's the fresh Rabbi of of, uh, Bel Air. And I dig him because he always has these brothers working with him. And I said to this guy, I was at Shabbat dinner. I was like, how did you meet Rabbi Mintz? He was like, oh, hi, man. He said, that nigga used to play basketball in Brooklyn. I was like, oh my God, he's called a (laughs) rabbi. Oh my God. And he was like, yes, mom. Yeah, he said, he helped us. He got our families here. And so there's that relationship with Williamsburg that LA doesn't know about. You know Mm -hmm. where, yeah, it's Jewish, but it's black. Yes, it's Jewish, but it's black. And why I'm saying that is that the show went really well until the last person, a headliner, national, says to this guy, so I see you guys are out tonight. I bet you have children. And they're smiling. She says, yes. He says, how many? She says, four. And he says, oh, that's great. Let me ask you a question. When you make love to your wife, do you grab her boobs when you're behind Or Oh, my God. <laughs> the rabbi jumps up. Are you ready? Rabbi jumps up and says, you're not a man of the Torah. Get him off the stage. Get him off the stage. We had to calm down, Rabbi Mintz. People were uncomfortable. Chairs were rolling. And the comedian says, hey, he goes, you don't even know what you're getting here. I've been on the Tonight Show well, guess what? They're Orthodox Jews. They don't have a TV. They thought he said tonight's show. And that can ruin your money. That's when somebody pisses in your soup. Mm. There's no need to say that. When I said clean, I meant no tuchus, no boobs, no ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, Jim Gaffigan or Jerry Seinfeld, those kinds of clean. I mean, that's like real solid clean. Makes you a lot of money, brings you a lot of opportunities. And, you know, generally enhances your reputation in the game. So yeah, I mean it's a wonderful kind of claim. I mean the cleaner the better if you can if you can wing it.
2: Well that's what I tell them. Here's the thing. I'm a, a, we have free speech on here, right? Of course. Can I say what I want?
0: Yep. yep. All right. So Don't me hold give nothing you back. I'm
2: give you know they do the same joke. So you know when I was single, you know, it was difficult. So I used to uh I used to uh, date a lot of fat men. And I figured it out. I was like, "If he eats, I'll eat." You see what I'm saying? You judge by the width. The dirt. Right? I'm using my, I'm using it here. I'm using it here. <laughs> Meanwhile, the real joke is, you ever fuck a fat guy, man? You don't know if he's coming or if it's the middle of a heart attack. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, ah, that's so funny. But I had to change that joke. That's why I went that way. So it's like, have you been intimate? Sometimes in the heat of passion. You may hear a a gasp, a a sound, a moan. And when you're with someone like that, you're thinking, am I really making this happen or is he going to have a heart attack on me? And if he does, who's going to pull my body from under him before his wife comes home? And that's a joke. No, I married him. So that's (laughs) how that goes. You make it clean. But believe me, the other way is funny too. (laughs) You feel me? It's funny. I
0: feel like there's a world and there's a lane where both jokes can coexist.
2: It will. It can. And it's kosher soul. You can do it all. You should never be excluded. Nothing should ever exclude anyone. Remember, there's one thing my mother in law taught me. Everyone can eat kosher. Not everyone can eat non-kosher. Never thought about that.
1: Wow. Interesting.
2: Did you know we can't drink milk like that? You know, like we have lactose situations Mm -hmm. and we wonder. Like my brother, cheeseburger milkshake, cheeseburger milkshake. My stomach hurt. My stomach hurt. You can't mix it. Yes, it's in the Bible, but That's not why, Mm -hmm. but you see, you learn something. At least if nobody gets anything from this podcast, except that I'm in a book that I didn't get permission to, and I volunteer to give the guy an interview, because I want him to succeed. I want to see us. I want to see us, you know, I come back from like Rap Brown that time, that era. And that's what's different, you know. They had it organized. It wasn't this, you know, I got a teardrop on my face because I killed my, I killed my grandmother's best friend after church. That's how I got it, man. I kicked her, man. I kicked her. When you have a degree in criminal justice and you work in a prison, it really makes you different. It makes you different when reading the audience. You see, don't mess with this one because he's not met, he's not okay. playing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you will get hurt. And I've seen it in the parking lot of the Laugh Factory. I've seen it. It's a joke, man. Nobody wants your woman. It looks like her teeth were cornrowed. It was a joke. Oh, <laughs> did I say that? Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm going to be sued.
0: No, nah, you won't get we'll sued. Will not get sued.
2: <laughs> I'm being sued right now. I'm not going to give you a name. Uh, for I'm discriminating against a man uh, with no legs and no arms because my website's not accessible. So I said, Tell him to come here and I'll give him a job as the head writer. <laughs> Don't mess with us as comics. We'll get you back.
1: I know. Let us know how it goes. But I, uh, I'm betting you're going to win that lawsuit. <laughs> it's totally bezless.
2: No, it's not. Yeah. He knows he's made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, we'll see. Attorneys that represent them. There's something nobody talks about. But what it's I true. think is really wonderful about what you're doing is you're opening your eyes, opening the world's eyes to comedy and how Don Rickles would tell people, hey, why are you sitting up here? You shouldn't you be in the back? Uh get get the spooks and put them in the back. Hey, why don't you do my laundry, you chink? He used to say things like that. And people used to laugh at that. And I remember being on a date before I was doing comedy and I was I was so offended. I couldn't believe it. I was because my boyfriend was laughing. Like, why are you laughing, dude? Because that's not funny. Because I'm black. And now I'm telling you it's not funny. And ironically, how did I get in the business? Jackie Mason, of all people. Now, people don't even know who Jackie Mason is. Isn't that sad? Do you know who he is?
0: I remember. I remember. Of course him. you know him. Absolutely.
2: Now he's the first comedian to get canceled on national television. Did you know that, Jason?
0: I didn't know I didn't know he was the first.
2: Oh, it wasn't Lenny Bruce. He gave Ed Sullivan the finger. Wow. Nobody picked it up, but Ed did. He's like, good night, thank you.
1: (laughs) Interesting.
2: (laughs) That Jackie Mason got canceled. Mm. And you're talking about history. But what I'm more concerned with is the Black history or the ethnic history of comedy. Because I want to be able to say what I want to say. I don't want to be told. Because there's new rules, you know. There's new, new rules. Um, if you have if your mother's black, you can say, nigger but if your father's uh not black, you can't say. I mean, it's I've never heard of such why do you have to say it to begin with? Now, I use it in one part of my act, it's the mm-hmm. Korean nail salon. When they're saying, Oh, you come very good, time to do, oh, and they talk about you, and then all of a sudden, you hear, oh, Come, come, this nigger got a toenail, look like a dinosaur. <laughs> And that killed all the time. And then we did the clean show and I changed it. And I said, oh, this color girl. But it wasn't as funny as the original. Trust me. Because you know that's what they were saying. Mm. Ha! And then Paul Mooney comes on after. Us. And remember, I opened for Paul Mooney how many times. And he would say, young, gifted, and black. Too bad she's a nigger. He
0: I remember that. Wanted,
2: yes. And I... Was he say, look at you, you little Creole. He would call me all kinds of Louisiana names. And it's just so funny <laughs> because I, I'm not. I'm just from Patterson, New Jersey. And to live my life and get through my life in the hood like that being mixed, comedy saved my life in a lot of ways. So that's a real important part. Without laughter, what will we have? Because I certainly haven't done a sit-up in three days. And that's the best way to tighten it up, I think.
0: Amen. So, so I guess in closing, because we're pressed for time, um, let's let's talk about Carl's book. Like uh, both of you guys, let's give me you know takeaways from the book that you want others to get from, from coming from it.
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for um, you know like focusing on this book. Uh, the book has a whole bunch of sections, uh, seven chapters long. Contains uh, stuff about so many comedians, blacks, whites, but the thing that holds everything together, one factor that unifies everything, um, it's it, that it covers the uh, lives of comedians in various situations that are kind of like sometimes career threatening. But for those starting out in comedy, it's like a must read. And for those who have some interest in comedy. I mean, if you if you look at our society today, comedy has a lot of impact on the pop culture and the conversation going on in the public square. So um, a read on what comedians can do or cannot do or can say and cannot say uh, is so important to you know, capturing you know, that kind of information to get your finger on the zeitgeist. I've got a book, uh, it talks about just it's not just about what they say, it's also about what they do. I mean, one of the chapters concerns uh, when comedians like get off stage and maybe attack people or get themselves attacked or maybe get injured, you know, like George Wallace and other kinds of comedians, Scott Williams, you know, uh, Andy, Andy Yeah, so there's has a whole bunch of stuff in there. So I guess it goes from, it begins from like how to even make a contract for comedy work because that's something people don't focus on. Just because uh, you're performing well and you're doing well doesn't mean there aren't folks out there who are willing to stiff you or deny you, you know, the money you've actually made. So it also concerns us how to structure your deals. Like, you know, some some of the um, some of the coverage concerns people like Howard Stern and Charlie Sheen and all these guys, you know, uh, Gary Shandling you know, how they make their deals and stuff. And there are very important lessons to be taken, including stuff from people like Dave Chappelle and the way they structured their deals and things. And then you go on to like free speech and other stuff, lawsuits against comedians, John Oliver, you know, Bill Maher. I mean, the famous one here is uh, the suit between um, Donald Trump and Bill Maher over the whole business of uh, Obama's uh, birth certificate and that kind of bet. Of course, mm-hmm. Trump ended up uh, withdrawing the lawsuit, but you know, not before he caused BMR to run up a lot of uh, legal bills. So I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Sometimes comedians just get in trouble for some very, you know, like very silly reasons. Like you know, when Donald Trump sued BMR, I mean, it's just like there's just nothing to that suit except it's just a nonsense suit, nuisance suit, as a way to strategically, you know, damage a comedian. Yeah, so you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here how to avoid those kinds of uh, situations and how to navigate. You know,
2: always look for the love, though, right? Mm-hmm. You know, well, you
1: look for you all of that. that, you look for all of that, and you also it try to so for Sunda, who runs a school, yeah, this is something uh, your students could benefit from to really learn how to stay safe, how to advance their careers, and how to generally. Um, well, how so- do
2: I get a free book? <laughs> <laughs>
1: coming soon in the mail and uh, yeah
2: i will tell them they're very interested in reading all of these books you know i said to one of the comedians you look just so much like sammy davis and he said the baseball player and he said, oh my god but you see then what you're saying in closing i think that you're part of it of a you're the next generation from the real side, because there was no cancellation problem there. People still went on. Right. Now it's cancel immediately. Mm-hmm. When Trump won, I was attacked, attacked online, okay? Yeah. By a comedian who misunderstood, this is what was wrong with your social media. And I'm gonna wrap it up real fast. I couldn't believe Donald Trump was president on my daughter's birthday. Talk about like, okay, talk about like, oh my God. So I wrote Donald Trump is president, OMG. And it was, and I love this girl. I love this girl. She's a comedian. And she went off on me that I was a racist, that she knew I was a racist. I had no respect for L'Oreal. And what happened was I thought L'Oreal, the way they were saying the name was a woman because they didn't introduce themselves to me. And it was a man. And it was the early show, majority white people. And they loved his stories. But when it got to the other stuff, you could see the aura of awkwardness because they want to laugh. If they, again, if they laugh at something that has the N-word, then they going to get pointed out and they're racist. But this woman just tried to destroy, I and mean, this is, I thought it was a friend that I met that I brought to the Laugh Factory. She's got her own TV show now, but I don't care. I called her and I said, why would you do that to me? Do you know how much money we spent trying to get Hillary Clinton in office? And she said, well, you because I wrote, you hide behind the cowardice of the of the internet. Mm. But that's why people say what they say about you. And that's when she picked up the phone. And she said, I had no idea that you had worked for." It. I said, what do you mean no idea? I was on CNN impersonating Trump. Does that make me, I mean, don't assume. And how dare you attack another black woman, a woman of color and call me a racist. How can I be a racist looking like this? I'm not your everyday chia pet. I come with a little <laughs> sauce. <laughs> And with that, Jason's like, we got to wrap this up because these fools will go on forever.
0: <laughs> you could, it <you> could. <laughs> well, I love the conversation. Time. I think everyone's going to get a lot from it. I uh, would like thank you both for joining us and uh, having a great episode. Carl, plug your book, man. Where where can people get it? Yeah, you can uh, get it on
1: Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and every place books can be uh, bought, pretty
0: much.
2: I love you, Carl, the way you're so... <laughs>
0: Sandra, really we got to plug your school in, man. We got to plug your school. It's called the comedy.
2: No, after you.
1: Comedy goes to court when people stop laughing and start fighting.
2: Well, it's time for people. Let's change that. We're going to make it like you're a little dyslexic because it's time for people to stop fighting and start laughing. That's right. Exactly. That's oh, good, man. too. And the, here, good. what I'm doing at the LA School of Comedy, uh, look, if people tell you you're funny, you probably are, but you won't know until you take it from the page to the stage. And my my real dream here to get going is uh, I give everyone a chance here. You know, you have a chance to do a podcast. We rent out the studio space, you get your headshots, And it's not like, uh, you know, somebody said, oh yeah, it's one of those games that they do. You know, one of them scams. And I'm like, no man, it's your life, not mine. You need the EPK. People know who I am, thanks to Carl and my mother-in-law. But I'm just saying. You know, ah, I hate when this happens, but it happens. I forgot what we were talking about. Just
0: plugging the school. school away. That's it.
2: Plugging the school away. I want to tell you why it's good for you. It's good for all of you who are in public speaking. Again, people need icebreakers. Realtors love it because people always love to laugh and people like to make people laugh. So at the end of the day, we can really make it happen. And I think that if I get this dream together, I've only done this a few times where we take our kids that have parents who are incarcerated and we take those kids to visit their parents to keep the black community together still just because they're away. The Italians always say, you know, they're on a job, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they still respect their father in jail. And we take our kids and we're going to take them to the jails and we also give them comedy classes. And I encourage them to do not just that, but to also get involved with Debbie Allen, the Debbie Allen Dance Academy, who's done a lot for kids in the community. As Sinbad put it, uh, when your kids with Debbie Allen, they ain't on the street. And so these things like comedy bring people together in a good way, but it's misinterpreted. That's why a kid like me gets thrown out of school in her last year. And for what? Laughing?
0: now Something the world like, could use a lot more of
2: they need some laughter and i need some lipstick because i'm talking some people talk your ear off but i go for the whole body
0: <laughs> <laughs> and with that i guess it's a wrap for a sidebar again well, like wait think- a
2: minute before we wrap oh. i would like to say okay. thank you to you and bonita for having me on sidebar yeah. and if any of you guys want to find us we're at la school of and you can find me on all platforms at Sundalive. S-U-N-D-A, Live, Jason. Awesome, and, uh, definitely want to make one. sure we
0: plug that in and we get everybody on board. And I will definitely be following your school going forward. I'll tell you that much. Oh,
1: just and one last one. You? One last one, Jason. Uh, so um, the book was built on a blog. <laughs> it was inspired by a blog. The blog is still active. It's called Ocals Law. O-C-A-L-L-Slaw.com.
2: Great, not. I can't wait. And I hope you guys have me again. It would be great. And when you're here, Carl, we'll do a podcast live. Absolutely. Amen.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be over Thank on you. the West Coast very soon.
2: Well, bring a coat because it's not warm.
1: But <laughs> sure, you know,
2: they make believe it is because you look at these little white people. Like, you need to put on a coat. Wow. It's cool. right.
1: <laughs> I'll keep that in mind.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, All you guys. will when you get off the plane. Guys, it's been a great time. I've got to leave, but it certainly was great, Jason. Stay in touch, Sundalive.com. Find me, um, Sundalive at Gmail. Call me best, because I can't get to the internet, you know. This was a big deal for me tonight, but.
0: Thank you for our guests, Carl Umbra and Sandra Conquest, for joining us on this episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the sidebar and leave a great review. As a reminder, the views and opinions from our guests do not represent those of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information, visit our website, www.nyabj.org.